Hey, this is Pastor Spencer with Racine Bible Church. You're listening to a message from our sermon series in Isaiah. It's good to be here with you this morning. It's good to share God's word and to, but just to be here at the mission conference. Um, when I stand here, I feel like I'm standing on lots of heritage. Um, RBC has been a mission-minded church for many, many years. I think probably from its inception. And uh, some of you who are older than I am probably remember those first missionaries. And I can think of people like uh, Floyd Larson, who was a missionary to China before the communist era. So we're going back many years and Ray and Kay Larson and others that we could mention. And then those who have followed them and those now who are presently part of your church family, your missionary family, and we by faith believe that there will be more that will continue on. And so you have a rich heritage. What we sang about today is not just the theory in this church. It's something that you firmly believe in. And I'm, yeah, we're proud of, um, we're proud to be part of this missionary family. The second thing is, I commend you for the way that you send missionaries. You send them in a way that honors God. You take care of them, you support them, you pray for them, you encourage them, and there's not many churches that do this. And so we, we're just... So grateful and thankful. And I know I say that on behalf of those who are sitting in this congregation who could actually testify that, to that too. Um, so I speak on behalf of those. <clears throat> and then I'm also just aware that it doesn't matter how long our ministry is, whether it's short or long, whether it's far or near, we have this incredible privilege to do what God has called us to do. Uh, I just stand here in amazement that Joan and I have had the privilege to represent you, but represent the Lord Jesus over the past number of years. And uh, it's a privilege. So it's great to be here with you this morning. Let's ask God to help us as we look into his word. Father, thank you for this time we have together. Thank you for the celebration of taking three days out of this week to gather together to understand what better what you're doing in this world, to celebrate it, and to f understand better so that we can pray for it. Thank you, Father, that we have your word to be our guide. So may you speak this morning through your message to your people. We ask in the name of Jesus. Amen. Uh, the first service, I sort of ran out of time, so I think I know better how to schedule or to fit in what I want to say. Um, I was thinking, the, if the theme of zeal for Jesus, passion for the lost, what passage of Scripture would tie that in with what we are in, the, uh, where we are in the, how can I say, the church calendar. 
We're in Lenten season. In a few weeks, we'll be celebrating the, the final week, Holy Week, the death and the resurrection of Jesus, the culmination of, um, or the, the foundation and the culmination of our faith. And so I thought, well, how can we combine these together? And I thought of Isaiah chapter 53. Isaiah 53 is the servant song. It's the fourth among the four servant songs that Isaiah has written. They're absolutely profound. And Isaiah 53 is the crowning song of those four. In the first service, I read it all the way through. And I think I'll skip that today, not because it's not important, but for the sake of time. So my message today comes from Isaiah 54, which is the end of chapter 53. Sometimes we stop reading at Isaiah 53 and we forget that, that there's a chapter division there and we think, oh, okay. And we forget that there's a 54 and we forget there's a 55. But actually, if our Bibles were divided better by chapters, this would all be combined as one group. Isaiah 55, we're aware of that well-known passage. It's an invitation for a worldwide gathering to a feast. And it starts out, come all you who are thirsty, come to the waters, and you have no money. Come and buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. And why do you spend your money on what is not bread and your labor on what doesn't satisfy? And so there's an invitation to come and to join this feast with no cost to us to the participants, but the cost of everything to the provider. And that's Psalm 53, uh, excuse me, Isaiah 53. Nothing for us did it cost us. And it cost the suffering servant everything. And so that's the invitation. That's a personal invitation that goes out to everyone in this world, or it should go. That's the purpose of why it comes after Isaiah 53 is because what the, the suffering servant has done to provide the way of salvation, to provide this feast that we can come and we can eat at and we can partake of that will one day be fulfilled in heaven at the great supper of the Lamb in Revelation 19. But so sometimes we hit on Isaiah 55, but oftentimes we skip Isaiah 54, and Isaiah 54 is still part of the invitation. It's an invitation to celebrate uh, it's an invitation to sing and to celebrate a miracle family, a reconstituted marriage, and a righteous city. So there's three different metaphors in Isaiah 54. We're not going to look at all three of them. I won't have time. We run out of time even looking at one of them. But we're going to look at the first metaphor, and that is a miracle family. The result of what the servant, suffering servant has done in Isaiah 53 now is that there is a miracle family that has grown and has expanded, and there are many, many children. So, if you have your Bibles, Isaiah chapter 54. Isaiah begins with these words, verse 1. Sing, O barren woman, you who never bore a child. Burst into song, shout for joy. You who are never in labor, because more are the are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband. So she's told to sing, to celebrate. 
And then all the descriptions are piled up on each other of who she is. She is one who has, is barren. Goes on to describe her, one who has never born a child. One who has never had labor. The pains or the joy. And she is also called a desolate woman. She has nothing. No children, no husband, no resources. And she is told to what? To sing and celebrate. And the reason is why? She has children. She has children. She has many children. And that ties into chapter 53, which I've been nice to read, but Isaiah chapter 53, verse 10, it says, and you'll see the connection, yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and to cause him to suffer, and though the Lord makes his life a guilt offering, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. So that same idea of the children that she has is the offering, uh, the offspring that the suffering servant is going to also experience and have. If you want to go back to verse 8, it speaks again about that idea, sort of in a negative way. It says, but by oppression and in judgment, he was taken away. So just picture it. This is our Lord Jesus. This is the... the this is the prophecy that was given 700 years before he came. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And who can speak of his descendants? And I think to myself, as I picture the Lord Jesus there on the cross, and yes, he has a mother. His father is probably dead, Joseph, his biological father. Who was his heir? Who was going to inherit anything that he had? And so the question is, who is his descendants? He's going to die a childless person. What's going to be his reward? What is going to be the result of what he's done? And the answer is Isaiah 54. He has given to this woman children that are uncountable. And she is to sing because of that. So this family is no doubt a miraculous family. She, the only way that she experienced having children is by the miracle of what's happened in Isaiah 54. And so she's told to sing and to rejoice. And I love that because that's part of what mission is. That's part of our mission. We gather together for this weekend, and it's a time of celebration. It's a time of celebration of what God has done and what God will do, what he's doing, and what he will do. And I love it. As we sang today, and uh, Brennan led us in worship, I thought to myself, we sang a lot better than what the preaching is going to be this morning. Uh, those words were just so rich and full and meaningful. And God is building his church. Matthew chapter 16, Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. We also had the verse thrown up on the screen about Matthew 24, 14. The, 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 uh, 
the gospel must be proclaimed to all nations before the end comes. And let me tell you, that is not a timetable. That's not looking and saying, oh, are all the unreached people groups reached yet? Uh, well, let's, uh, no. It's a promise. It's a promise that it will happen. And so that needs to be our emphasis. Yes, there are unreached people groups. When will Jesus come? I don't know. But the point is this. It's a promise that God will build his church and he will build his kingdom. So as we sing Sunday by Sunday and we sing these amazing words and we worship this amazing God, we should be thinking of those who don't sing those songs, who do not know our amazing God. And that was brought home to us, to me, very forcefully one time, I remember. We were, we were in Djibouti. We, were sent there, we went there to learn the Afar language. We were not in the capital city where there were other believers and other churches. We were out in a place called Tajura across the bay. And we were working, Joan and myself were there. There was another couple with the IMB, Joe and Carol Dobbs. And then there were two single women living in this very remote place, kind of hot uh, desert. And we met week by week. We met on a Friday because Djibouti was a Muslim country. Uh, Sunday were work days. Any time that was free was Friday so that the Muslims could gather together to worship. So we worshiped on Fridays, the six of us, for nine months. We finished our language learning. We went back to Addis Ababa. To, and the first Sunday, I remember, we were sitting in the International Evangelical Church, filled to capacity, hundreds of people, and because Addis Ababa is an international city with the uh, headquarters of African Union, there are many nationalities there from different places around Africa, and it's international in other ways. And I sat there and I thought, wow, there are so many people in this building right now worshiping God. Amazing, amazing. And there's so many people in many multiple churches throughout Addis Ababa with thousands of people in the churches. And I thought to myself, for nine months, it was a six of us, and there wasn't one Afar who was part of that worship. And I thought, my heart just broke. God, would you bring this, your understanding, your salvation, to the Afar people so that they could sing and they can praise God like all of us. And so I encourage you, as you sit Sunday by Sunday, don't think that worship is your own special privilege, individual privilege. It's your privilege, but it's also to ignite something in your heart for those who do not worship you, worship the same God that you worship and love the same God that you worship. And so the first thing we do in missions is it's our heart. Because mission must come from our heart, must flow out of that. So if we're not worshiping God, what's the point of mission? And if God has not captured our hearts, there'd be no reason why we would want to share the good news with other people. But once God has captured our hearts and we're lost in wonder and worship of who he is, 
it just naturally flows that we want to tell others. So that takes us to the second command. There's three commands in this short little passage. Command number two is this. Enlarge the place of your tent. Stretch your tent curtains wide. Do not hold back. Lengthen your cords. Strengthen your stakes. For you will spread out to the right and to the left. Your descendants will dispose, uh, dispossess nations and settle in their desolate cities. So there are a number of commands here, but they basically can be boiled down to one simple command. Don't hold back. Prepare the place for your tent. Make it wider. Make the curtains. Add to them. Add the material. Strengthen the ropes. Strengthen the, the, the tent pegs. But the main idea is this. Don't hold back. Now that is the promise to this woman who is now having multiple children. Many, many children. She's told to expand her place to fit with all the children that the suffering servant will bring into her family. There's also a part of it that you could say, well, she's somewhat still a desolate woman. She still doesn't have, she has children, but how much resources does she have? Is this not a little scary to think that maybe we kind of hold back a little bit because who knows? Um, will we have enough resources to do what maybe we're, our vision is taking us? The answer is it takes faith and trust. And so my challenge to all of us in this room today, this command to expand is for everyone in the place that God has put us. And don't think that our sphere of influence or our vision should be only as big as what we think we can do or the resources we have or the intelligence that God has given us. God is calling us beyond that. God is calling us to do something we cannot do in our own strength. And it takes faith and trust in what God can do. And so I challenge everybody in here, this, this is for not just missionaries, not just for the church staff here, this is for every individual believer that God is calling us to do what he's called this woman to do. As a destitute woman who has very little, she is still, by faith, going to expand so that she can take in all the children that God is going to bring. I share that also with, as a church. Um, I commended you for all the amazing heritage that we have in the number of missionaries that have been sent out to this church in the past, in the present, but I wonder what is our vision for the future? Are we going to sit on our laurels and say, oh, we've done a good job. We're very mission-minded. We got missionaries here and there, and it's enough. I think God is calling us as a church to expand, to pray that there would be more who would come in and would be part of 
not only this body through the multiplication of people coming to faith in this community, but around the world. So that is a challenge to you. The challenge to me has been I need to, exp I feel that and Joan and I over the past couple years have felt that God is calling us to a more faithful, deeper, wider prayer ministry. You'd say, well, as a missionary, you should have been really praying often. And we were. But primarily it was for our own ministry, our own place, for the Afars, for the Ethiopians. And God has challenged us to just, we all need to be praying much, much wider than our own sphere of influence. And so that has been the challenge for me. And so that's why I bring that out as what I feel that what God is doing for me and I want to share it with you. So prayer is God's work, but it's the part that we part, missions is God's work, but prayer is the part we play in extending God's work. And how that works, I don't know. But I know that when we pray, God works. How does he pray? I don't think it's for how many prayers we have or how many people are praying, but it's the fact that when we pray by faith, God will hear and answer. And we're to pray for the nations. So just to give a quick survey through the Bible, that, that would take a course. Uh, it would take weeks to do a course on prayer as it relates to the nations, as it relates to mission. And I just want to share one passage from the Old Testament, then two, ver two passages from Jesus' uh, comments about prayer, and then a few verses from Paul. Um, and then I, at the end, there'll be a short video just to... Uh, to put in our mind's eye of how we can pray. So, turn in your Bibles to First uh, Kings chapter 8. And you might think this is a sort of a random place to turn, but I think it's perhaps the greatest missionary prayer of the Old Testament. Let me just set, this, set the context for what we're going to read. Um, in 1 Kings chapter 8, it's the dedication of the temple, Solomon's temple. So for seven years, Solomon and David before him have gathered the materials to build this building. It's the most magnificent structure in the nation of Israel. It is, it's taken seven years to build and many more years to plan. And now we're standing on the steps. I'm inviting you to stand on the steps, probably marble steps, beautiful steps leading up to the temple with King Solomon as he gives this dedicatory prayer to God. So it's a long prayer. We don't have time to read the whole prayer. It's mostly a prayer about his nation 
It's a prayer that often he says, a phrase that's repeated again and again is, hear from heaven, your dwelling place, and when you hear, forgive. And that's repeated again and again about his people. But tucked away in that prayer is a, a part that Solomon prays in verse 41. And it's not a prayer for his nation, but it is a prayer for the foreigner, the alien, the one who doesn't belong. And here's how he starts in 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 41. As for the foreigner, first time it's ever been mentioned, no thought of the foreigner has ever been part of this, this dedication. But now he says, as for the foreigner who does not belong to your people Israel. Oh, just stop reading there. Um, picture yourself maybe as an Israelite. This is the most special place in the nation of Israel. It's where God from heaven comes and meets with man on earth. It was in the temple. It was Israel's temple. It was Israel's God. It was Israel's holy God that nobody was allowed in. It was so holy and, pre and special that only the high priest was allowed into the Holy of Holies once a year. So picture your mind. Solomon's praying, and he's praying for this foreigner, and he calls him, he says he's a foreigner, and he says, one who does not belong to your people Israel. And you might think that Solomon's going to say, keep him away, keep him far away, because we don't want this place contaminated by foreigners. Well, he doesn't say that, but he continues on. He says, the one who, is, who does not belong to your people, Israel, but has come from a distant land because of your great name, for men will hear of your great name and your mighty hand and your outstretched arm. So he's assuming that God's name is going to go out to, the, to many people. They're going to hear of the fame and the greatness of God and about his mighty hand and his outstretched arm. And when he comes and he prays towards this temple, then hear from heaven your dwelling place and do whatever the foreigner asks of you so that all the peoples of the earth may know of your name and fear you as do your own people Israel and may, and may know that his name I've built bears your name. So the phrase that I want to highlight is this. Do whatever the foreigner asks of you. Now you think, well, is that so amazing? It is amazing. I'll tell you why it's amazing. There's nowhere in the Old Testament that God ever promised that open-ended prayer to his own people, Israel. He didn't say to come, any Israelite, and come and come to the temple and bring your prayers, and whatever you ask, I'll answer. And now Solomon is praying that not for his own people, but he's praying that for the foreigner, for the alien. All for the sake that the prayer would be answered and God's name would be honored. So I thought to myself, or maybe Solomon or whatever said, 
would think, well, who knows what the foreigner might ask? Uh, who's in control of this uh, suggestion box? And uh, who's in control of this prayer box? Uh, it's pretty dangerous to have such an open prayer to say, give the foreigner anything he asks. But it was for the honor and the glory and the extension of God's great name to the whole world. And that was the motivation for Solomon's prayer. It's interesting. I chose that because there's a parallel to that verse in the New Testament. It's Jesus' words to his disciples in John 15, verse 16. So if Solomon, you think, maybe got it wrong, we can't say Jesus got it wrong. <laughs> Jesus would have had to get it right. And this is what Jesus said. Jesus said in John 15, 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. There it is. Whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give it to you. The mission was to bear fruit, as Jesus said, and the power to accomplish the mission was prayer. Jesus gives his disciples the mission so that they can use the power of prayer. The invitation for the open-ended prayer was for the mission. The reason God gives us prayer isn't just so that we can pray it for ourselves, what God wants, what all the personal requests that we have for ourselves. The reason God, Jesus says, I've given you the privilege to ask whatever you want in my name is for your mission. And the mission is to bear fruit. And whether that's in Racine, Wisconsin, or if that's in Nairobi, Kenya, or wherever it is around the world, God has given us the power and the privilege to pray for the mission. And he says to us, ask whatever you want. That's this, it sounds to me, it's like what Isaiah is saying to the woman, expand, because I'll give you what you're asking for, what you're trusting me for, because it's for me, it's for the mission that I've given to you. That's an amazing prayer from the Old Testament. Combining mission with prayer. And so God is, as I said, God's really been putting on my heart that this desire to pray wider than my own sphere of ministry, our own needs, my own wants, but to pray widely for the world. We come to Jesus, and Jesus, in two verses that um, I'll share very briefly, I, from my understanding, and maybe somebody afterwards will come up and correct me, but I, and Jesus taught a lot about prayer, but there are only two things that he said. There are only, he only gave us content of what we should pray two times. He should, in other words, he told us to pray often. He told us to be persistent in prayer. He told us many things. He, told us, he taught us a lot about prayer. But there was only two prayers that he said, this is what you should pray. The first prayer is the Lord's Prayer. 
We know that, Matthew 6. And that is a missional prayer. That your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. <laughs> There's nothing more missional about that prayer than you could pray that God's will would be complete, completed on this earth as it should be done in heaven, on this earth as it is done in heaven. The second is tucked away in Matthew chapter 9, and it's these words, the harvest, he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, the workers are few, ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest. He told us specifically to pray that prayer. Those are the only two prayers that he told us exactly the words that we should pray and what we should pray for. And so, for Jesus, certainly prayer was what he thought was important to accomplishing the mission. Paul says it in many times in his letters. And I consider Paul the, probably the greatest missionary of the early church, but probably through all down through church history. Has anybody seen the fruit of his labor like, like Paul saw? So let me just read four passages from his letters. You don't need to turn there. But listen to all of them with the passion that he asked for prayer. First, Second Thessalonians 3, 1 and 2. Finally, brothers, pray for us that the message of the Lord may spread rapidly and be honored just as it was with you. And pray that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men, for not everyone has faith. Colossians 4, 3 through 4. And pray for us, too, so that God may open a door for our message, so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Ephesians 6, 18 through 20. Pray for me that, whatever, that whenever I open my mouth, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. And the last one, Romans 15, 30 through 32. Hear the passion in, G in Paul's words. I urge you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to join me in my struggle by praying to God for me. So prayer is the privilege that God has given us, and it's the work that God has given us. And I'm, the, I'm more of a doer, but God is convicting me that I need to be more of a prayer. And so in a week from now, we're going to show a video in just a minute. But about a week from now is, for the Muslim, it's their most holy month. It's the month of Ramadan, in which they'll be fasting for 40 days. And it's been a time throughout in many churches where we're encouraged to pray for the Muslim world every day. And you can have resources that you can get for this, and you can be praying for the, for the Muslim people around the world. I've picked one video just to kind of put it in mind's eye so that you, you leave and you, it's not just something you've heard from my mouth, but you kind of see it with your eyes. And so... We'll just take a few minutes to look at the video, and then we'll come back for the final point, and we'll be finished for this morning. Sir.
from the East Africa region who was a Muslim but now a follower of Christ. Would you pray with me for all Muslims in this region? Heavenly Father, we come before you in the precious name of Jesus Christ. We lift up all Muslims in East Africa region and we ask for your salvation. We ask for your divine visitation. May your light shine. May your spirit move mightily and draw many, many to the salvation that you have prepared long ago through the life and work of Jesus Christ. Let them know you, Lord. Let them know you and give you all their praises, their love, devotion, allegiance, to worship you, to adore you, and to serve you as your own children. To come out of that bondage, fear, doubts, poverty, war, fights, which is driving this region and the people in it to hell. I pray for grace, I pray for insights, I pray for love, I pray for peace in East Africa and stability. May your love be multiplied in this region. May your peace be poured out in this region. May mercy be lavished on this region for your glory and the salvation of many Muslims in East Africa. They belong to Jesus. They belong to the Almighty God who have created them in his own image and likeness for his glory. Lord, send your angels to lead many Muslims in Uganda, in Kenya, in Somalia, in Tanzania, in Burundi, in Rwanda, in Ethiopia, in Djibouti, in Eritrea, in Sudan. May your angels surround these countries, the Muslim communities in this region, and keep them safe, help them resolve issues in a peaceful way, and may they stop fighting against each other which is hurting them and which is also affecting the work of your kingdom. Give many more dreams. May you reveal yourself in an extraordinary way as you have been doing it to Sheikhs, to Muslim leaders, to the army leaders. It is only you that you can save and deliver this region from evil and the evil ones. Our hope is in you, Lord. Our eyes looks unto you for your love to be lavished on East Africa region world. In Jesus' name I pray and believe. Amen. Here in the States, you have so many resources to help us in prayer. That was one prayer cast, prayer cast Voice of the Martyrs, uh, Caleb Project. You can go on to different websites and you can get something to help you to pray for the nations. 
And these are videos that are up to date. There's so many of them. If you're interested, you can do that, and that will could help you in your passion and trying to, or your passion to pray for the the world. I close with the last command, chapter 54, verse 5. Do not be afraid, for you will not suffer shame. Do not fear disgrace, for you will not be humiliated, for you will forget the shame of your youth and remember your no more the reproach of your widowhood. For your maker is your husband. The Lord Almighty is his name. The Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer. He is called the God of all the earth. Fear is what often paralyzes us. Fear is often what insulates us against others. And the evil one takes this fear and he uses it on both sides. In Ethiopia, in working with the Muslims, there were so many of them that some of them would not even drink a cup of tea with me. They were afraid of contaminating themselves by being in the same room. And then there's the other side. There's us who see them and they say, oh, they look like the enemy or, or we're afraid because they're so different than us. And so fear is what paralyzes us and keeps us from reaching out. And the final words of Isaiah to this woman are, don't be afraid. Twice he says it. Uh, do not be afraid. Do not fear disgrace. And I love the reasons he gives. He says, For your maker is your husband, and we know his name. The Lord Almighty is his name. The Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer, and we know his name. He's called the God of all the earth. And the suffering servant of Isaiah 53, is, we know his name too. His name is Jesus. And Jesus said before he went up to heaven, and he gave us the great commission, he said, I'm, go and make disciples of all nations. And then his promise is, I'll be with you as you go. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this reminder this morning. It's nothing new. We're ready to rejoice and to sing and to celebrate what you're doing. It's your work. It's your mission. You're the God who is on mission today around the world. You're not sleeping. You're actively fulfilling your plan. And Father, we have that incredible privilege to come alongside you, like you said, and to extend your kingdom to lengthen the, the cords, to strengthen the stakes, to make the tent wider. Father, give us a vision that is beyond our own ability. Give us a vision that we can't fulfill ourselves. And then, Father, help us to believe those words, to not be afraid, and to launch out what's what you've called us to do. We thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen. To find out more about our ministry, contact us at racinebible.org. Thank you for listening.